Thanks for listening to Westminster Insider. We'll get started right after this. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash trip for free shipping and 365-day returns. Today's episode is presented by Lloyd's Banking Group. Everyone deserves a safe place to call home. That's why Lloyd's Banking Group has championed the social housing sector for decades, supporting more than 340 housing associations across the UK. Season of mists and mellow fruitfulness and warm white wine and dry policy panels, as the poet John Keats so famously wrote. It's that time of year again. The weather is turning, there's a chill in the air and if you're a political animal, you feel it in your bones. It's time for party conference season. It comes around quicker every year. Come September, a whole two and a half weeks after the long summer break finally ends, Parliament goes back into recess. The Westminster Circus packs up shop and we all go on a weird sort of school trip to exotic faraway places like Birmingham, Manchester, Liverpool or, if we're lucky, the seaside. It's a weird, intoxicating mix of policy seminars, panel discussions, floor debates and not-so-major, major speeches from the great and the good. Good morning, conference. But let me tell you, conference. 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 Thank you, conference. But let's be honest, most of us are there for the warm white wine, the bad karaoke and exclusive parties that we try desperately to get an invite to. It's where politicians hope to set the agenda. Members go to thrash out policy and catch a glimpse of their political heroes. Journalists try to take the internal temperature of the party and figure out how the leader is shaping up. It's a weird alcohol-fueled pressure cooker. It's at once completely pointless and highly consequential, deathly dull and then properly interesting. R by R by R. A lot is riding on it, and a lot can go wrong. And if you're one of the journalists covering all of them, you start to forget how it feels to have a good night's sleep. The unofficial rule is always try and make sure you're in bed by 2am because you've got to be starting again at 5.30am the next day. No, that one's never stuck. And I think also you need to kind of swerve the drunk people. We've learnt, you know, how to get through the kitchens and out through the rubbish and round the back so that you just, you know, avoid all of that because otherwise I'm never going to get anywhere. From Politico, I'm Alva Ray. And this week on Westminster Insider, I'm taking you inside the party conferences. We're packing our bags with Lemsip and Barocca and hopping on a train with a load of other journalists, MPs, lobbyists and activists. We're taking over some poor, unsuspecting corner of the UK and going inside the weirdest few weeks of the political calendar. 
were hoping to emerge without too bad of a hangover. We've arrived in a big industrial city because the new rule of conference season is that there's always a big industrial city. It's often Manchester and this year it's Birmingham. We've got our passes, gone through airport-style security and we're in the secure zone, the weird bubble of the conference centre and hotel that we probably won't manage to escape for the next few days. We notice a sudden proliferation of well-dressed gentlemen of a certain age with pot bellies, suit and tie, into low taxes and tradition. The average age goes up and the ratio of women to men goes down. This is Conservative Party Conference. How would you describe Party Conference to someone who's never been before? A weird mix of geekery, power, chaos and unpredictability. Jamie and Joku Goodwin is now CEO of UK Music, but until very recently, he was Matt Hancock's special advisor at the Culture Department, and then, of course, health. You've essentially got, particularly if you're in government, you've got the most important people who are essentially running the country all in the same square, 200 metres, all staying in the same hotel. I think when you look at it from the outside, because it's a secure zone, and you see all these sort of policemen guarding the gates, and there's snipers up on the roofs and things. It looks like it's a very ordered and sort of choreographed. But actually, everyone rubs up against everyone. You'll find yourself just in a lift with the foreign secretary, or you might find yourself sort of like accidentally like knocking into the PM as he's going from there to there, or she's going from there to there. So it is bizarre. For those few days in early October, the government essentially has to relocate. The ministers and their advisers have to conduct their meetings and do their business in full view of journalists. And, because it's a political event, without the help of the civil service. It's chaos. The hardest thing at conference is getting your minister from A to B. Basically, sort of, again, you'd be doing a meeting at 11 o'clock mm. to 11.30, and then a panel from like 11.35, 11.40 to mm. 12.30. You'd be like, OK, you've got 10 minutes to get from A to B. It's about a 100-metre walk. shouldn't be a problem. But just, I mean, it, it can sometimes take 45 minutes an hour to get a minister from A to B just because they're being mobbed by a journalist or there's a young activist who wants to take a picture. And when someone wants to take a picture of the cabinet minister, it's very, very, very difficult to, to get that cabinet minister to be dragged away. For politicians, conference is your big opportunity to communicate with the public. Even if you're in government, this is the one time when people are really listening. They have no choice. The media coverage is wall-to-wall. Lots of times, people obsess about things in Westminster. The public doesn't care. But party conferences, you get prime-time broadcasters, people are definitely reporting what's happening, and often the policies that are announced there really, really cut through. So it's an opportunity, often the biggest opportunity of the year, to really set out what you're doing as a government, what you're doing policy-wise. Conferences both reveal the political weather and set the political weather. Looking back over recent Tory conferences, the whole story of the Conservative Party is there, in how speeches landed or didn't land. Often you go to conference thinking things are in a certain place and you really see where things are. So, for example, in 2014, I remember going to conference there'd just been all these defections to UKIP. Everyone was quite worried. It looked like the next parliament was going to be a hung parliament or even a lost election. And David Cameron pulled out this incredible speech and everyone left thinking, oh, you know what, something might happen. 
Let us build a Britain we are proud to call home for you, for your family, for everyone. Cameron writes in his memoir that, delivering that speech, he had never felt more like the leader he wanted to be. After two devastating defections of Conservative MPs to UKIP, that rallying cry was enough to steady the ship, at least temporarily. <coughs> Similarly, Theresa May had just lost the 20, well, had won the 2017 election but lost the majority. You had that disastrous <coughs> conference where the stage fell apart. <coughs> Theresa May had this huge coughing fit. And we. <coughs> she was handed a P45. Shows what good the Chancellor's cough suite is. And it felt incredibly glum when you had the whole party thinking, oh no, what's happening here? <coughs> and we. The Theresa May wobble at the 2017 Tory conference was a big, awkward metaphor for how things were falling apart during her premiership. And in 2018, it would be a speech from someone who wasn't even a cabinet minister anymore that would get everyone talking. Budget now and fix it later. Boris Johnson turns up to do a speech. He's got hundreds, thousands of activists desperate to meet him. It is a constitutional outrage. And it really had a sense that actually there's something happening here. Is this the next Prime Minister? This is the moment to chuck checkers. Sometimes, of course, conference speeches become the stuff of legend for a different reason. We import two-thirds of our cheese. That is a disgrace. It's awful, really, because the, the, way that, the way it's set up is there's a press office in the big conference hall and it's right next to where all the journalists are. So you've always got to be really careful to kind of keep a strong poker face. And there have been some instances in the past where certain cabinet ministers gave speeches. And of course, of black pudding. And the journalists could all hear people in the press office laughing or guffawing at strange things that may have been said um, by certain people who are still in government even. Opening up new pork markets. It's that famous Liz Truss moment where she talks about port markets and you had lots of people in the press office who were kind of like laughing, thinking, what on earth is this? Which, fair play, I think she's probably proved them wrong in the last couple of months. Journalists were tweeting during that now iconic Liz Truss speech that they could hear Tory press officers laughing through the wall. And you might not be able to tell from his diplomatically worded answer, but Jamie was one of those Conservative press officers in the room that time. But of course, he would never have laughed. That is a disgrace. Politicians go to great lengths to ensure they make a splash with their speeches, to really stand out in what is generally a crowded schedule. Which may go some way to explaining, I guess, why Matt Hancock briefly considered appearing as a hologram. It was one of the ideas that me and the other spad tried to kill quite quickly because we didn't think it was actually going to work. But no one told CCHQ. And then when Jeremy Wright became culture secretary a few months later, CCHQ were under the impression that Jeremy Wright was still going to be appearing as a hologram. If you work in Westminster for any length of time, you begin to discover that there's a lot of small p politics involved in conference speeches behind the scenes. Firstly, there's the internal battle over who gets to deliver a speech. Then over when it is, and then what you can put in it. Sometimes a policy is stolen or spiked by the leader's office, and sometimes there's even tension over the jokes. I remember writing a speech for one of my of my bosses, which included a very gentle, but I have to say I thought quite funny, joke about um, one of their cabinet colleagues. 
Tim Smith was a special advisor to Conservative cabinet ministers, including Jeremy Hunt as Foreign Secretary and David Davis as Brexit Secretary. It was a loving, affectionate nod to some of their predilections for chaos, eccentricity, um, no prizes for guessing who that individual, who was the butt of the joke, was. And we entered the rehearsal, into the main hall to rehearse it the night before, and there was only one other individual in the room other than the kind of core team who was the previous cabinet minister who just finished their rehearsal. And we delivered the speech, and then we all laughed along at the jokes. And then within about 20 minutes later, I got a phone call from the special advisor of the person who was the butt of this joke saying, oh, I hear your boss is going to start slagging off my boss in the speech next week. And in followed basically a two-hour negotiation that got number 10 involved about whether or not my principal was allowed to make this joke or not. And um, the conclusion was we made it anyway, uh, and it was all absolutely fine. We trained the best diplomats and put them to the test by sending them to work for the foreign secretary. But it goes to show the kind of level of gossip and intrigue around things that ultimately don't matter that much that go into the build-up of it. The speeches are, in theory, the most important things at conference. They're what cabinet ministers bicker over behind the scenes and the moments that you and I see on the TV news bulletins. But Tim Smith, a Tory conference veteran, shares my view that the panels, the in-conversations, what are called fringe events are almost always the most fascinating bit. I think, particularly at Tory conference, things happen on a twin track. There's like the announcements that come from the stage. Often they are genuinely substantial and, and worthy of attention. Um, and then there's also, the, as some people might call it the real story, others might call it the ephemera around it. But there's the who disagrees with the, the main event, what are the issues bubbling in the membership, who freelanced at a fringe event and gave some indication on future policy that wasn't expected. You know, it can be frustrating sometimes if you work for the central party and your entire focus is on making sure that the, the main stage is the main event of the, of the day. But actually, it's kind of healthy for broader politics that there is a discussion and kind of exposure of, of, of the wider things that are going on inside a political movement. You've been dropping into fascinating... And, okay, some not-so-fascinating. Fringe events all day. You've watched some big speeches, had coffee with old contacts, or, if you're a cabinet minister, with a diplomat or newspaper editor or two. And as evening approaches, the panel events continue. Only now, they're serving warm wine instead of really bad coffee. Receptions and dinners begin to spring up, and more and more people fill the conference bar, although some people never really left in the first place. It all starts to feel a bit more like a nightmarish wedding of a distant old friend. And you never know who you'll bump into. When I was a health spad, I was always so surprised at the number of people who I just like accidentally bump into, completely accidentally, of course, yeah. who happen to be like lobbyist for some pharma company or working for some like health health tech company or something yeah. and I was like, like they seem to be everywhere like everyone I bumped into and it was only when I went to conference as UK Music having left government I was suddenly like it's really weird like I used to bump into health lobbyists like all the time and I just haven't bumped into any at all and you suddenly realise that like honestly like there are people there with a booklet and your, your name and a picture and they see you and they like 
will just like find ways to just like start a conversation. It's like sinister sometimes. Like remember one guy like accidentally knocking my drink over. Oh my god, I'm so sorry. Can I buy you another drink? And he just worked for this like health company, and I ended up having like a long chat with him. Yeah. It, it only ever happened when I was a health span. And you're like, and you're like, oh no, I work for UK Music. Where have all the pharma well, people yeah, they, gone? They, literally, <laughs> they just seem to have all sort of like disappeared. Only at the conference of the party in government do you find this. People from the worlds of business and industry throw money and resources at Tory conference, hoping to shape government policy. And I'll level with you. That comes with an unexpected benefit. Every conference is great in its own way. But the Tories have the fanciest and the most surreal parties. It's only here that you'll leave a room full of faces you recognise from TV, go to the cloakroom and find at the very back in the shadows, standing on the coats and scarves and handbags, Dominic Cummings, deep in conversation with one of our most famous journalists. That might not be your dream night out, but it's definitely an experience. And that's before we even get on to Tori's strange love of karaoke. Here's Jamie, Matt Hancock's former advisor. I think just before I started for him, he famously or infamously, depending on how you look at it, did a wonderful Don't Stop Me Now karaoke duet with Therese Coffee, I think it was. When I started, one of the things I was told by um, a fellow special advisor was, Jamie, one of your main jobs is to make sure he doesn't do karaoke at party conference again, which I just about, just about succeeded at, uh, at maintaining. As the night rumbles on, people are still networking and talking politics, but they're also dancing, singing, sweating, and in some cases, slurring their words. We've encountered Michael Gove on the dance floor, and Therese Coffey has just taken the microphone. It's probably time to call it a night, because you'll be doing it all again tomorrow, and we still have other conferences to explore. My, my dress completely soaked with beer and going off to the loo and standing under the hand dryer and trying to get my dress, you know, dry and the back of my hair is sticking up like this. And somebody came up and tried to get a selfie with me. <laughs> oh, God, only at Labour Party Conference. <laughs> Stay with us. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me, because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates, like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com people today. A message from Lloyds Banking Group. Lloyds Banking Group has championed social housing for decades. It provides finance, expertise and guidance to more than 340 housing associations across the UK. These range from small local associations of several hundred homes to much larger regional associations responsible for tens of thousands of properties. Each has an important role to play in their community to help people find a safe place to call home. Improving access to quality and affordable homes 
is central to Lloyds Banking Group's commitment to helping Britain prosper. That's why Lloyds Banking Group is calling for one million more homes to be made available for social rent over the next decade. All party conferences have the same ingredients. A conference centre, a hotel, a hotel bar, politicians, party members, some members of the media, and, if it's by the seaside, some obligatory shots of the party leader eating an ice cream. But they all have their own weird, unique personality too. Poor old Labour has been out of government for a very long time, so you're unlikely to hear speakers like this anymore. Prime Minister Tony Blair. Although Labour has been hinting that it will have a special guest this year. You know, as well as I do, that the reason why there are so many people here at this moment is purely out of curiosity. (laughs) They want to see what a pensioner from the colonies looks like. But what the opposition parties may lack in star power, they more than make up for in chaos. The Lib Dems have something called Glee Club, a surreal, very Lib Dem kind of political choir, where activists and MPs come together to drunkenly sing anthems and protest songs, most famously The Land, a liberal anthem that dates back to the start of the last century. Michael Foote, who would go on to lead the Labour Party, of course, once described it as the best political song he had heard. They also sing a not terribly nice song about Tony Blair. These events induce a sense of camaraderie, a sense of shared fun, an intoxicating tribalism which brings back delegates year after year after year. For some politicos, party conference is simply the best place on earth. I love Labour Party Conference. I was going to Labour Party Conference for a long time before I became an MP. I mean, I have conference friends who I never see at any other time of the year. And I probably met them like 30 years ago. And I knew their name then. I don't know what their name is now. It's too late to ask. (laughs) Emily Thornbury is the Shadow Attorney General and a lifelong lover of the chaos of Labour Conference. The trouble is, and there are some fantastic parties, I mean, you know, Dawn Butler's Jamaica party is definitely, you know, on the list too, but the the trouble is, is that there's so many of them and you're expected to kind of go to, to all of them and you only really, therefore, are able to go for about 20 minutes and, and by that stage also, I'm on flat shoes because there's absolutely no way I can get anywhere. Um, and you have tried to, and you also have to kind of work the next day. So... So I do behave like a child. I do become completely overexcited and and I don't get enough sleep and I don't, you know, I used to smoke and I used to smoke too much and drink too much and dance too much and and just just do too much so that, you know, by the time the last night of conference comes, you're thinking, oh, can I let my hair down? You know, and and, and it tends to be the latest night and there tends to be, I used to do, 
um, when there was a Labour Students, which there now is again, um, there used to be Labour Students Disco, and I would do a, a DJ set at Labour Party Disco. So there's there's a new don't laugh. So there's a new um, a new uh, Labour Students has been re-established, and there's a guy who's just been elected as pr- new president. And I got in touch with him on Twitter, sort of straight away, saying congratulations. And on the top of your to-do list, please make sure that you re-establish Labour Students Disco, and I want my DJ set back. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I've always loved Labour Party Conference and I think I continue to have the attitude of a young delegate at conference. I still have that enjoyment and that excitement. It's a big family party and in all its glory and horror, you know, whether it's trade unionists or, you know, Labour Party delegates from Scotland or Wales or, you know, all kinds of different areas with their own politics and their own experience and we're all crammed into sweaty spaces together and it's brilliant. So is it a kind of reminder... Especially when you were younger, a sort of reminder to you of what it was all about and what what you stood for. There's that side, and then there's the politics. So there's fringe meetings on every single subject you could ever think of. I couldn't get around all of them fast enough. I wanted to see so many things. I would spend hours looking at the book and trying to work out just how many things I could go to and just to try to absorb as much of, of it as possible. So that's the politics. And then there's the politics in the bar, you know, meeting people and arguing things, and the politics in the hall, and, you know, and card votes and the excitement of all of that. I still have that, and I will always carry it. You know, I love Labour Party Conference. The Conservatives, while they're in government, at least, have all the money, but not so much of the democracy. Those discussions that Tory members have at conference, the mood that you pick up, doesn't directly set any of the policies the Conservatives adopt. Members are spoken to, cajoled, cheered, preached at, but not actually asked to take part. But other parties decide their policy at their conferences to a greater or lesser degree. They have heated debates and tight votes. And at Liberal Democrat Conference, they pass every single iota of party policy there. Whatever your personal politics, if you enjoy hearing a passionate debate about all parts of politics and policy, I recommend the whole at Liberal Democrat Conference. And you never know who you might see there. We Liberal Democrats believe in opportunity for all. Even our Conservative Prime Minister cut her teeth on the Liberal Democrat conference stage. Abolish the monarchy. Thank you, conference. Vote against Amendment 1 and vote for the motion. The Labour Party, like the SNP, passes some policy at its annual conference. These votes are often quite tense affairs. It's factional. It's often a stitch-up. And it's also famously complicated. I have a piece of paper on which I have written down some things, so just to make sure I get it right. See, this is how complicated it is, even even oh, for the experts. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. So here's your brief guide to passing policy at Labour Conference from someone who's been doing it since she was a child. So each constituency Labour Party will be able to send a motion to party conference. Um, They can either send a motion on policy or they can send a proposed rule change. So then, of course, you get hundreds and hundreds of these things. And then you have to work out, 
kind of how we're going to sift it through. So when it comes to policy, there'll be major policy headings that you'll have like, I don't know, 20 motions on Sudan, let's say, in another box, a whole lot of stuff about rule changes. And what happens then is that the policy documents get put into the different sort of buckets and you'll get six from trade unions and six from CLPs. You'll then on the Sunday night get a priority ballot. So you will then be able to vote on which of the buckets of motions, whether Sudan is of sufficient importance to be one of the top six that we will be debating at conference. And then you have compositing. Ah, compositing. That mysterious process so beloved of labour conference nerds. The mere mention of the word can induce a thousand yard stare in a journalist who is expected to understand what on earth is going on. You then have meetings of everybody who's put in, let's say, a motion on Sudan. And and you have to try to agree one motion that everybody's okay about. In short, these are closed door meetings where the members who have submitted their motions meet with the relevant shadow cabinet minister and someone from the Labour policy team to hash out a single motion that can be voted on by conference. And it can last. Ours. I think the first time I ever did compositing, I think I got a before and an actually into my composite. So I was very junior and very inexperienced. <laughs> but that's how you do it. So you're all together and you're all equal on the face of it. And your emotions are all of equal importance. And you try to kind of hammer something out, which will then be put before conference. And then there's a vote. How party leaders manage these big votes and the message they're sending out from the conference hall is a test of their grip on their party. Perhaps none was more famous than when Tony Blair won a vote at special conference to end his party's all-important commitment to state ownership, otherwise known as his Clause 4 moment. This is a modern party living in an age of change. It requires a modern constitution that says what we are in terms the public cannot misunderstand and the Tories cannot misrepresent. Blair won that vote narrowly among the trade unions and overwhelmingly by nine to one among the party grassroots. There have been other historic showdown conference votes like this, like when Tony Benn challenged Dennis Healy for the deputy party leadership in 1981 and lost. And there was also last year's narrow victory for Keir Starmer on leadership rule changes. But some votes passed by members don't go how the leadership wants. And that's when you see how truly democratic the party really is. There have been times in the past where Labour Party conferences said, this is our policy and this is what the Labour Party stands for. And the the leadership has said, don't care. This is what we're going to do anyway. But, you know, this is kind of part of the give and take. And it means that being a Labour Party member really means something. You're not just there to be giving out leaflets. You're also there to be part of our democracy. Emily Thornbury began going to conference as a young, idealistic member. But now she sees it from the other side. What's it like being the politician, like one of the big names at conference? What's it like for you now? It's amazing. I mean, it's, it's, it's immensely affirming. And no one should feel sorry for me. But the, but the truth is, it is quite tough being frontline. 
And um, and obviously, you know, as everybody knows, you know, it's particularly tough if you're a woman and frontline. There's been studies made and I think I'm the second most abused woman on social media and, you know, in politics and all of that, you know. So, I mean, it's hard. That's that's kind of hard. And you do get kind of quite a lot of criticism. But at Labour Party Conference, you kind of realise that there are so many people who will who will come and say, thank you. You know, thank you for being who you are and thank you for doing what you do. And, you know, you're my mum's favourite and all that sort of stuff. <laughs> I mean, you also get people saying, what on earth are you doing, Thornbury? You know, I don't agree with you on this, that and the other. And that's fine as well, you know. Um, as I say, I kind of think it just like it brings you back to your roots. It kind of replenishes you. What's it like giving a speech at conference? Is that different to other big speeches that you've done? Yeah, I mean, there are some. There's there's one big speech that I did, which I'll always remember. So I was shadow foreign secretary, and I did a speech about the importance of us coming together and about us tackling racism and anti-Semitism in our midst. And nobody had mentioned anti-Semitism at that stage, on the stage. And I thought that it should be confronted. And so I talked about the history of the Labour Party and how important tackling racism had been and anti-Semitism and how proud we were of our history. We beat the black shirts and the NF and the BMP and the EDL and whatever they call themselves today, however they dress up their racial hatred... You really felt as though you were kind of bringing people together. I mean, it was amazing. It was an amazing speech, I admit myself. And it was like, it was kind of great. I loved it. Uh, yeah, because that, that wasn't a message that, well, that parts of the party would have wanted to hear, yeah. I can imagine. So yeah. it, was, it took a bit of courage as well. Yes, I had members of my staff on places just you could get onto the stage by walkways on either side and I had people there to stop anybody jumping onto the stage to have a go at me because we weren't sure how it was going to go down but it went down really well. I enjoy speeches and I enjoy the response that that I get of course and I don't mind the fight. (laughs) When I got knocked off my bike by a black cab in July, I was lying in a gutter near Westminster Central Hall after my head had crashed into the pavement and my life was flashing before my eyes. On which note, I'd say, incidentally, don't knock it till you tried it. There were a couple of moments from my youth that I'd forgotten about where I thought, ooh, (laughs) blimey, (laughs) that was fun. (laughs) <laughs> and it wasn't running through fields a week, comrades. <laughs> there was a walkout in one of my speeches, I remember. But then they walked back in again. <laughs> I was told that there were people who were still going, well, I know we're supposed to have walked out, but I just want to hear what she has to say. <laughs> How many fingers am I holding up? Two. But when they got to who's the Prime Minister, I had to say, guys, I think you're going to have to take me to hospital because for some reason I think it's Boris Johnson. (laughs) Gosh, it's fractious, though. Of course it's fractious. You would not want it to just be quiet and respectful and, you know, we're not Tories. What about the conference gaffe? Politicians in all parties get caught out. Not me. Have you never? I don't think so. You're speaking on a panel... And there are maybe 20 people in the whole room. 
Or maybe you're at an evening rally with the party faithful. You feel you're among friends, comrades, speaking freely and passionately. But you're a prominent politician and someone, normally a pesky journalist, is recording the whole thing. They're going to broadcast your offhand comments to the world. And in the cold light of day, it's just possible your overzealous remarks or close-to-the-bone joke won't sound quite the way you imagined. Yes, it's that great annual tradition, the conference gaffe. Keir Starmer gave a lovely speech and it was it was very sensible on our message. This is Mikey Smith, Whitehall correspondent at The Mirror and the journalist behind one of the most headline-grabbing gaffes of recent years. And then Angela Rayner started a, a fairly sensible and on-message on speech, and ginning up the room, and she was getting a really good response, and then she really went, you know, she got into the rhythm of it, and she started talking about Boris Johnson, the Tory party, started calling them scum, homophobic, racist, misogynistic, coming from a banana republic, Oldetonian pieces of scum. You cannot get any worse than a bunch of scum... That's right. As you no doubt remember, Labour's deputy leader called the Tories scum. It was, most people agreed, more than a little OTT. There's so many of these fringe events that you quite often go to them on your own because you're trying to spread out and, and, and catch as many people as you can. But for some reason, I think we just finished our work for the day uh, and we were like, oh, we all fancy a drink. So we went to this reception where they were serving warm wine, warm beer. But anyway, she's giving this speech and we're all a little bit relaxed and she says all these things and suddenly a little thing goes off in your brain going... I know it's Angela Rayner and she speaks her mind quite a lot, but that sounds a little stronger than usual. So luckily I had a tape on, so I just transcribed it on my phone in a corridor in a hotel um, and I tweeted it and it got quite a lot of attention. You said last night, we cannot get any worse than a bunch of scum. Um, Is that the kind of civility that the Starmer Rayner Labour Party envisages? Well, look, that was post-watershed, as we'd say, in, with a group of activists at an event last night. And, and I mean, I fair play to her. She stood by her comments at the time. She was like, well, everyone's talking about the things I said last night in a, you know, in a relaxed meeting. You know, no one's talking about the things Boris Johnson has been saying for many, many years. Politics has got quite professionalised over the years. Uh, you wouldn't think it sometimes, but it has. Uh, and everyone's quite on message most of the time. And, you know, they've all gone to the seaside. They're with friends in a room, and sometimes you can get them to say what they really think. Things can blow up at conference, and you don't even know, because you're so busy. Angela had called the Tories scum, and I was asked about it, and I didn't realise kind of what a big thing it was. And I just remember saying, well... You have to think about the context. You know, this is Labour Party conference and, you know, it was was at a reception probably. I don't know, but I presume it's at a reception. You know, a lot of people have been drinking and da-da-da-da-da. Anyway, the next thing I know, it's been spun into Thornbury accuses Angela Rayner of being drunk. She would never say that, would she? Look, what she was doing at a fringe meeting... Mm. Where there may have been drink partaken, it's noisy. You're saying she was under the influence of drink, and that's what made her say. As a journalist at one of these events, you always wonder what else is going on behind the scenes at the top level. 
Sometimes it's only years afterwards that you read the biographies and books and discover the real drama between top politicians and their advisers in some hotel room in Brighton. But sometimes the infighting comes to the surface. And normally, of course, the infighting happens at Labour Conference, like in 2019, when Jeremy Corbyn and his team tried to get rid of Deputy Leader Tom Watson. I won't tell you who to, but uh, I did say to a certain influential person on the phone, I remember speaking to them and saying, you know I'm not Tom Watson's biggest fan. I can't believe you've pushed me into this, but I can tell you, you must not be conspiring to get rid of him. This is not going to do the Labour Party any good. Yeah. As I say, I mean, Tom Watson would be the last person who would be, <laughs> believe that I did that, but I did. <laughs> Tom and I never saw eye to eye. Um, but, you know, it was wrong what was going on. I mean, amongst all of the other things that are going on, you know, this is an opportunity for us to set out our stall. And the eyes of the country are on Labour for a few precious days. Conferences are strange moments where a political party simultaneously looks outwards and inwards. Politicians are speaking to their grassroots and the country at the same time. Civil servants tell me that ministers and their teams don't come back tired from conference, but reinvigorated with their political antennae sharpened. Normally when you're doing the business of government and you're formulating policies, you're doing it through a very sort of governmental policy-focused lens. Actually, party conferences, when all political parties have to think, right, what's the best thing to do for the politics of things? Where's our membership? Where's the country? And actually, in a democracy, you, you want your political parties to be thinking, how are we going to do the best thing for the public as much as possible? And conference is one of those moments when it's one of the main things people have to think about. I love how um, it represents both the best and the worst of British political culture. Occasionally boring, often has alcohol involved. Um, but I think it is, in, in many ways, a microcosm of, of what's going on in British politics more widely. And I think that's kind of something you've got to celebrate and you've got to find a way to love it. Party conferences are the weird and wonderful lifeblood of our political system. If you're a member, it reminds you what it's all about. And if you're a journalist, even though we pretend to hate it, it's a pleasure to be a part of. Some of you will soon be on your way to Labour Conference this weekend or Conservative Party Conference the following weekend. You might even be listening to this on the train there. But whether I will or I won't see you there, let me leave you with a small selection of advice on how to survive Party Conference. Have a Barocca every morning. Never eat the cooked breakfast in the hotel because it makes you sluggish for the rest of the day. Well, obviously, you're always on the record, no matter what. The unofficial rule is always try and make sure you're in bed by 2am because you've got to be starting again at 5.30am the next day. No, that one's never stuck. Too much day drinking is a bad idea. Wear flat shoes. Come away no more scathed or controversial than you were when you began. Make sure you eat. Try to get some sleep. But remember, there's always Thursday you can recover then. <laughs> Don't have a lie-in, because that's the end. If you have one, then you'll never get up again. Always get up in time for the Today programme, is the rule. <laughs> I mean, this is just advice for life as well. <laughs> it is just advice for life. <laughs> Thanks for listening to Westminster Insider with me, Alva Ray. If you've enjoyed it, please spread the word, follow us and maybe leave us a nice review. 
And don't forget, you can go back and listen to past episodes, including Jack's episode on how to write a political speech. Thank you to my guests this week, Jamie and Joku Goodwin, Tim Smith, Emily Thornbury and Mikey Smith. My producer this week was Eve Streeter of Whistledown Productions. And here at Politico, my executive producer is Christina Gonzalez and my editor is Jack Blanchard. We'll be back next week. See you then. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style.